0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martini's coming up.
1: So glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. As you probably know, Jim Garrity is out this week. Here today in Jim's stead is David Harsani of National Review. David, great to have you with us. First time as as a guest host filling in for Jim, but uh, welcome, welcome.
0: Thank you. It's, uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well,
1: before we get to the martinis, and we don't have a good one today, we should point out, but uh, we do have important stories to get to. Uh, it's also opening day, not only for the Nationals here in Washington, but uh, around Major League Baseball. It's also the first round of the Masters, so pretty good sports day. But of course, uh, David, in our culture today, uh, we can't just enjoy things. We have to be lectured to all the time. And of course, one of the great parts of going to a baseball game is the seventh inning stretch. You sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game, uh, Buy Me Some Peanuts and Cracker Jack. Well, maybe not just Cracker Jack anymore. That's because Frito-Lay has decided that is uh, favoring men. So now they've come out with Cracker Jill. I'm not kidding. They've even got a song that parodies. Well, we would probably call it a parody. Uh, they've reworked the lyrics to Take Me Out to the Ball Game
0: take me out to the ball game take me out to
1: the crowd so far so good buy me some peanuts and crack good chill no one can stop you if you have the will so less rude rule for a good stream. we're adding our face to the David, my wife has never been offended by the old lyrics uh, by Mesa some Cracker Jack or any other woman I've ever known uh, that I've been in a ball game with. So uh, uh, they're obviously trying to be inclusive here. What do you make of that?
0: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm quite easily triggered by <laughs> these sorts of things, usually. But I have to say, this one doesn't bother me that much because, um, you know, you, it's allowing women to, to, to sort of feel like they're participating in baseball since they can't really play um, is isn't that offensive to me. I mean, it's kind of annoying, annoying that every single part of culture and, and now food and, and every sort of consumer goods have to have this sort of uh, corrective. Right. Happening is kind of annoying, but I don't know. I'm just not that offended by this one.
1: Well, first I have to decide what a girl and a woman are before we can cheer on their teams. (laughs) I mean, I'm
0: not a biologist, but I'm not offended.
1: (laughs) That's exactly right. So uh, as far as I know, they're still making Cracker Jacks, so you can make your own decision uh, when you go to the concession stand. I'm not even sure they actually sell Cracker Jack at most ballparks. They probably do somewhere, but I haven't seen a... You know, the guy They're who probably
0: like 25 bucks a box these days, right? <laughs> I don't even know. So, the games anymore.
1: Probably so. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen a Cracker Jack guy, you know, like the beer guy or the peanut guy that comes through the stands in a long time. So I assume they still sell them somewhere there. But uh, anyway, let's get into our martinis. We have uh two bad and a crazy. And uh, let's dive into... The first one, uh, and that deals with the Hunter Biden story, which, of course, with the laptop story, the mainstream media buried it after the New York Post reported many of the different things that were on the laptop. Uh, New York Post got kicked off of uh, Twitter and I think other social media sites as well. Anybody sharing the story had the posts taken down and so forth. It was Russian disinformation, Joe Biden even told us in front of tens of millions of people on the debate stage. Well, as the New York Times uh, told us in passing a couple of weeks ago, actually, uh, all that stuff on there was totally legitimate. So uh, anyway, let's let bygones be bygones. Well, Anne Applebaum, who is um, a very well-known journalist, she writes now for The Atlantic, but I believe she's worked for The Washington Post and a number of different uh, media organizations, uh, long distinguished career. She was speaking with uh, David Axelrod, and I believe this was at the University of Chicago because the student was a freshman at the University of Chicago. His name's Daniel Schmidt, who asked a very good question. Most college freshmen, I don't think I would have asked this good of a question, but he did, and watch Ann Applebaum completely change the subject. I'm Daniel Schmidt. I'm a freshman at the University of Chicago. My question is for Ms. Applebaum. Um, so in 2020, you wrote, those who live outside the Fox News bubble do not, of course, need to learn any of the stuff about Hunter Biden, referring to his laptop, of course. Uh, a poll later after that found that if voters knew about the content of the laptop, 16% of Joe Biden voters would have acted differently. Now, of course, we know a few weeks ago the New York Times confirmed that the content is real. Do you think the media acted inappropriately when they instantly dismissed uh, Hunter Biden's laptop as Russian disinformation? And what can we learn from that in ensuring that what we label as disinformation is truly disinformation and not reality?
0: I mean, my, my problem with Hunter Biden's laptop is I think totally irrelevant. I mean, it's not whether it's disinformation or. I mean, I don't think the hunter biden's um business relationships have anything to do with who should be president of the united states so i didn't find i don't find it to be interesting i mean that that would be my problem with the that as as a major news story
1: So, David, Daniel Schmidt, first of all, deserves a job in the Washington press corps because he's already asked a tougher question than about 95 percent of the people working for mainstream news organizations towards a Democratic administration. And and Applebaum obviously leans to uh, the left here. But what do you make of uh, the fact that now our media has gone from this is dangerous, it's Russian disinformation to "Eh, it never really mattered?
0: It's a lot to unpack here, actually, because Anne Applebaum is not just a journalist. She she was an incredibly talented historian who's written some amazing books. And, you know, a lot of people we lost during the Trump years, I would say, on both sides, you know, are, are no big loss. But I think she she is. And uh, for her, first of all, she didn't answer the question, you know, at, at all. Whether whether the story is important or not, what what do we make of it being labeled disinformation when at the time anyone who really looked into it knew that the the post had uh, dug up the story using the same journalistic tools and and under the same journalistic ethics that any big story, you know, is is broken. So that's first of all. but can you imagine her saying, eh, "You know, Trump's kids' stories about them are irrelevant. We shouldn't talk to them. They have nothing to do with the president." That 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 you know would not happen. A, but but B also this story actually, and obviously it's circumstantial. Still involves the president and then and then candidate for the presidency. I mean the, the big guy stuff. And there is isn't there is a, a witness you know who claims that to have to have to have been involved and seen Joe Biden involved in this. I mean these are. These are things that should be investigated. There's sort of this weird split where when something and listen, I'm no Trump fan, but when something was said about Trump not knowing meant we must investigate <laughs> When something said about Joe Biden not knowing means always innocent. I mean, it, you, you know, they, they want to have it both ways on so many levels. So how does this change? Does it ever change? I don't think so. I mean, th- that was the most blatant abuse of big tech that that I've seen. Right. I mean, I, even worse than I think banning the president. It it essentially there was a concerted effort by a bunch of companies who, who don't seem to be in competition anymore. You know, when I worked at newspapers, we competed with the Crosstown newspaper. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore, where, 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 where they just tried to kill a story. And uh, so I don't know if it gets better. I don't think it does.
1: Yeah, the idea that if uh, Donald Trump Jr. or Eric or Ivanka had a deal where they were talking about 10% for the big guy, and that was pretty well understood who that was, the idea that the mainstream media would be like, I don't understand how this is relevant at all uh, to this election. Um, Not buying that one. Not buying that one at all. But uh, they're going to do what they're going to do. But uh, anyway, speaking of lots of money, uh, people are paying a lot more money right now because of inflation on everything. From your grocery bill uh, to the gas pump, although it's inflation is not the only reason you're paying a lot at the gas pump. There's a lot of factors there, uh, many of which uh, could be eased quickly if uh, this administration wanted to. But a lot of people think the handling of inflation will shape the midterm elections. But we also want to share an easy way to make that inflation work in your favor. Because there are actually assets with better price appreciation when inflation is high. Like one that's appreciated 23% annually on average when inflation is above 3%. And that asset is contemporary art. It's surprising to hear that contemporary art, like a Picasso painting, can be an investment. But in 2014, The Times reported that it's now firmly planted alongside equities, bonds, commodities, and real estate as an asset class. And then, in 2020, they called it one of the hottest markets on earth. And now you can be a part of it with Masterworks. Masterworks is the revolutionary platform enabling everyday investors to add contemporary art to their portfolios. Art from legends like Picasso, Banksy, and Basquiat. And our listeners get priority access to Masterworks. Just go to masterworks.io slash martini and see important regulation aid disclosures at masterworks.io slash cd. Again, that's masterworks.io slash martini. All right, David, let's move on to our bad martini now, and this goes to a story you wrote on the corner at National Review Online, kind of reacting to a disagreement uh, in-house there at National Review Online, which is one of the great reasons to read National Review Online. It's not groupthink like it is at so many other places. You actually get to see competing ideas, uh, even though both are generally coming from the right. But there's this book called Eurotrash that you wrote, and uh, Kevin Williamson and uh, Kyle Smith have uh, debated it uh, to some extent. And what you write in the corner is generally a response to what Kevin, I believe, has written uh, being quite favorable towards Europe. And uh, as you say, he argues that uh, Western nations are wealthier and freer than most and that some of their policies are still worth appropriating. You do not agree with that. You say, first of all, Europe is on the wrong moral and economic trajectory, abandoning many of its best ideas and principles, so we should not follow its lead. Two, Europhiles often mislead the public about alleged European successes as a means of persuading voters to adopt policies that neither scale economically nor comport with our priorities. And three, we do not think or act as Europeans, nor should we try. But the left uh, does this all the time, and and I guess there's some on the right who think this too, that uh, Europe is somehow this shining example of the path we need to go down when if you take a Closer look at a lot of their policies, I'm thinking of energy in particular, it turns out to be a train wreck a lot of times.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, early uh, last year, I guess I I wrote this book called Eurotrash. And, uh, you know, I I get that the title is is, is not subtle or anything like that. But I think, you know, I, I put a lot of effort and there's a ton of research in there making my case. And my case isn't, of course, that Europe is the worst place in the world. It's not. It's one of the best places to be, especially Western Europe. However, I think they're on the wrong trajectory, as you mentioned, and I also believe that most of the Europhiles here—and it's mostly progressive leftists, sometimes sort of technocratic rightists—and now kind of like the you know, the populist right loves, you know, places like Hungary as well. Um, completely mislead the american public about the 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 supposed successes of europe not just in energy but in in their welfare state programs and their taxation schemes and things like that and sometimes it's because they're just terrible ideas sometimes they're not maybe terrible but wouldn't scale to the kind of nation we are but more than that i i write about the culture uh of american life and how different it is and it we are not europeans our values are different so kevin in my opinion nitpicked a bunch of things in you know who kevin you know who, who was writing i love and all that nitpicked a bunch of uh you know policies that he thinks work better in europe and uh, you know you can never say everything in europe is terrible or all their policies are, are 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 counterproductive they have some good ideas there too we should appropriate them when we can but in general I think that the the American life in almost every single way you look at it is better than European life, except for very few things. And, um, you know, so, you know, obviously we can dive deeper into specifics, but that's just the broad case I make.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. And what you focus on mostly in this corner post is the, the taxation, uh, where Kevin argues that, well, we're pretty close to some of those countries. And while that's true, uh, on average, we're not. And in the countries that uh, a lot of folks seem to think for some reason that we ought to emulate more, uh, the gap is pretty significant.
0: Yeah, I mean, everyone brings up Switzerland right now. Switzerland is an outlier in Europe. And I think they have a actually maybe I think it's the best country in Europe. But they're also a small nation with lots of rich people. And it's a, a very different uh, set of circumstances. What, and, and moreover, it's not like Bernie Sanders is like, let's be like Switzerland. He <laughs> says, let's be like Denmark. Now, even when he says that, he's being ridiculous because Denmark is actually quite capitalistic in many ways. They just use that capitalism to prop up this huge welfare state. Um, I don't think that can work here, and I explain why in the book, Um, but also, moreover, I mean, the, the tax burden for an individual citizen is huge there. It's probably in the 60% area when you take into consideration vat taxes and all the other things they pay now do you think that a middle class person here is going to pay 60% i mean i think that we could actually have an armed insurrection if anyone actually passed a you know that sort of uh tax tax bill so um you know it's just not it's just not realistic
1: no, I could see it uh, being pushed, though, at some point. I mean, right now, the magic line, of course, is $400,000. Uh, there was a point where it was $200,000, I think, uh, in, in previous uh, uh, decades. And uh, But, you know, with, with the debt spiraling north of $30 trillion now, and if the Democrats were to actually get what they wanted legislatively on Build Back Better and some other things, they'd find out pretty quickly that just taxing people making more than $400,000 a year isn't going to pay for everything they want to. And then there's only one other place to get that.
0: And that's people making less than that. Quick point, just that Kevin says, you know, that we um, we pay lower taxes, but we spend more. And I, you know, I agree that, you know, we, we spend more, but however, do you think that if we had higher taxes, we would start spending less? No, we would spend that much more. It would never really align to some sort of, you know, responsible governance. I mean, I just don't see that happening.
1: Yeah, if we've learned anything from Washington, they're going to keep spending no matter what, no matter who's in power. Uh, the numbers just keep going, and as long as you're cranking out omnibus bills and and just up-down votes that nobody's have been able to look at because they got thrown together in the last 24 hours, uh, the odds of actually dealing with spending is not going to happen anytime soon. But if you are looking for ways to save money, there are certain ways to do that, and that is buying quality products at a significant discount. And right now, that's where My Pillow comes in, specifically with their six-piece towel set. I absolutely love the towels for the reasons I've said over and over again. They're big, they're soft, they're fluffy, and they get you dry super fast. And right now, the six-piece towel set normally $109.99, now just $39.99 a set. The MyPillow six-piece towel set is made with cotton grown in the United States, and every towel is made with proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch, and they don't have that gross lotion-y feel. Every set comes with two bath towels, again, big, good-sized towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They are machine washable. And they have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. So for a limited time, get the MyPillow 6-Piece Towel Set, regularly $109.99 for only $39.99 with the promo code MARTINI. Visit MyPillow.com Martini or call 800-874-0104. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow Mattress Topper, MyPillow Giza Dream Sheets, and so much more. Get your six-piece MyPillow towel set for only $39.99 today at MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. MyPillow.com slash martini. All right, David, on to our crazy martini now. And California is often the source of our crazy martinis, and they certainly are today, specifically this time in Palm Springs, California. Fox News with the story. A California city is planning to give universal basic income to transgender and non-binary residents regardless of their earnings level. Transgender residents in Palm Springs, California, are eligible to receive a UBI of up to $900 per month solely for identifying as transgender or non-binary. No strings attached. The new pilot program will have $200,000 set aside for allocation after a unanimous vote by the Palm Springs City Council last week. And so, uh, David, as uh, I think it was Reagan and many others have said, uh, if you want more of something, you'll spend money on it, or you'll lower taxes on it, or you'll lower regulations on it. If you want less of something, you'll tax it more, you'll regulate it more. So uh, what do you make of the logic here of the unanimous Palm Springs City Council?
0: stressing credulity to say it is a logic that that leads to something like this I think but <laughs> I would say that it is actually quite interesting in the sense that it just is an example of how <sighs> there is no real objective reality here right because anyone can simply just say that they are like, what is it 900 bucks you get 900 bucks just by showing up um Obviously, I think the town can do whatever it likes, I guess, but uh, there is no real other kind of designation that a person can uh, have that isn't provable in some way, right, through genetics or through, uh, uh, you know, any kind of identitarian, at least, designation that you couldn't prove through some way, the belief system even. But uh, this <laughs> you know this, you can just say I identify as a woman and show up and get 900 bucks, I guess. I mean, we'll see. We'll see how long this lasts.
1: Well, the folks in favor of this say in the Fox News story that uh, uh, the transgendered population is one of the most marginalized populations in our city who face some of the highest levels of housing insecurity, joblessness, and discrimination. Look, if that was really the issue, the council would have addressed those things. And you have to think the uh, self-proclaimed wokest legislature on the planet, California, would have probably addressed such things, too. And so I don't feel like this is really about, um, you know, equal footing in housing or anything else. This seems to be uh, championing a particular group.
0: Yeah, I do wonder. I mean, I actually, I shouldn't even get into this debate about who is more or, or less marginalized by society. But, right. um yeah, I mean, it, it is weird. I mean, it's not like picking winners or losers now. It's just that certain people in society like government will judge who and who is not uh, in their proper place in society and then lift them up by giving them some cash. I just don't think that's a, a healthy way to uh, to create equality. But, you know, I guess we'll we'll see how this experiment turns out. I I suspect uh, it will it will not have a long term. (laughs) I I don't I don't think this is going to exist for a very long time. I think you'll you'll see in a year we'll revisit this and it won't won't be program anymore
1: yeah it's going to change in a number of ways either it's going to go away like you just said or they're gonna to have to spend a lot more money on it because if hey you can get 900 bucks
0: a month why wouldn't you uh go claim that uh, and yeah who, who how can you even i mean who, i'm marginalized i don't think i can afford to live in palm springs right, <laughs> right. i mean it, it's it's not like you know some some normal neighbor i mean i don't know much about it but from what i've heard it's a pretty you know exclusive and expensive place to live Yeah, not sure $900 in California is going to
1: get you very far. Might get you a couple of tanks of gas a month. Um, Exactly. That's about it, David. David, on that note, we will call time for today. Thank you so much for filling in for Jim. It was a lot of fun, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Anytime. Thank you. David Harsani of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. And uh, thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast follow us on Twitter. David is at David Harsani. That's D-A-V-I-D-H-A-R-S-A-N-Y-I. Jim is at Jim Garrity, and I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday, and please join us on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. The mainstream media does not
0: cover some of the most important news of the day. I'm Byron York from The Byron York Show. In my latest episodes, I talk about how, in the Democrats' search for a new villain, they have found their way back to Donald Trump. The U.S.-Mexico border is a disaster that's only going to get worse, and reporters are getting scrutinized for asking really, really simple questions at White House press briefings. Do not forget to download and subscribe to my daily No Chit Chat podcast to hear the news of the day, politics to Issues, I don't shy away from the truth. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.